0: Please turn back in your Bibles to that second reading that David read for us, Ephesians, as we uh, continue uh, our journey in this letter. This is uh, week number two and we're going to look at the the second bit of chapter one, verse 15 uh, onwards and uh, that little outline will help you as we look at that together. You should have that inside your service sheet. Now my daughter, my oldest daughter that is, is studying uh, commerce at school this year Uh, which is great on so many levels. Um, Firstly, because finally I have a subject that I can vaguely help with uh, after many years of being pretty clueless. Uh, And secondly, because I love commerce. I mean, what's not to love? Uh, It's sad, but true, I love it. And one of the concepts that she's learnt very early on in her commerce career, which I'm sure is coming, uh, is the difference between needs and wants. Uh, very simple. You would have probably learned it at school. Needs is something that you you must have in order to live. That's a need. Uh, Wants are something that you wish to have because it would make that life more comfortable. Needs, wants. The definition is very simple. Uh, Less simple is seeing the difference in our own lives between those two things. I wonder how clear you are about those things in your own life. What is a need and what is a want if you to articulate it to those around you? I find that incredibly hard myself. I find it hard even in my role here as a minister of this church to think about what we as a church need and what we as a church might want to work out the difference between those two. Especially when it comes to, say, the sort of things that we'll be speaking about at the, well, now Vision Supper, Uh, Our future plans for the church. There's so many different ideas out there uh, as a minister that I'm exposed to of what good would look like uh, for uh, a ministry and for a church. But what do we need and what might we want? How do we we tell the difference? Uh, And I feel it acutely at present. We're in a a season of transition with Pete uh, moving to his role at Barker. There's next steps to be taken in staffing here. There's questions to be asked. What do we need to do next? Uh, What might we want to do next? And then I feel that, and this is probably the most important, I feel it acutely when it comes to the need-want confusion, when it comes to our spiritual development as a church. Uh, Near the end of each year, uh, we meet as a team to sort of plan the year ahead in terms of preaching and what we'll look at in our small groups. And that's the point in the year where we're thinking, what do we need as a church? What, What should we be thinking about in 2020? And it's very difficult, isn't it, to discern between what we might need as a church and what we might want as a church. And if I was to ask you, what what do you want Sundays to be all about? As we gather here, it's a big commitment of time in a busy week. What do you want Sunday to be about? Or if you're part of a small group, and I hope you're part of a small group, what do you think we need to do with that time? What would be of most benefit? Or perhaps let me ask it more personally, not of us as a church as a whole, but you in your own life, do you know what you want? If someone was to ask you, 2020, what do you want this year? Uh, Do you know what that is? Or or, uh, asking uh, from the other angle, do you know what you need uh, in 2020? The Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, actually probably wrote it to a series of churches in the region Uh, He writes to churches in the midst of a secular world not unlike ours and what he does for them here at the start of the letter is he brings their needs before God in prayer. And what his prayers reveal to us is what I think we need most. That's what we have here in front of us. Uh, Have a look with me. Uh, These early parts of Ephesians are soaked in prayers that Paul is praying for this church. Uh, The first one you see there, have a look at verse 17 of chapter 1. He prays, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. And then if you flick forward, if you've got Ephesians open there, flick forward to chapter 3, verse 18, you'll see another prayer there. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love. Of all the things that, that, that Paul could want for the church in Ephesus, of, of all the things that we may want, want for our church or even for ourselves individually, here's what we need most of all. Knowledge. Uh, you need to know God. You need to know God's purposes and how you fit into them and here's why we need that Knowledge. Uh, We need it, uh, firstly, and you see this in verse 18 of our passage, because this is a knowledge that we don't naturally have ourselves. It's not there inherently in us. I mean, the mere fact that we have to pray for this knowledge uh, should tell us that it's not a matter of just deduction. I can't just work this out. Uh, It's not that if I'm smart enough, I'll see that this is uh, the reality of my life and the universe. Uh, I need to pray for this knowledge. You see there, verse 18, he prays that the eyes of our heart may come to know this hope, that we'd open our eyes that are presently shut. And uh, if you you see there the graphic that uh, we've chosen for this series, it's trying to capture something of that, that what God wants for us is that over time more lights come on, (laughs) that we understand more and more of what God is doing in this world and how we fit into it, that we join the dots between uh, what he is doing. And I've got to say, that hunger to know what God is doing and who he is, I see that in new Christians. People who've become Christians recently, they, they're desperate for that knowledge. I, I want to know what God is like. I, I want to know what his plan for me is. I have to be honest, I see it less in established Christians that we lose that hunger for that knowledge. And I don't know why that is. Perhaps it's because we think we know all we need to know. Uh, but here is a knowledge that we don't naturally have ourselves. We, we, need, to, we need God to give it to us need him to reveal it to us as we do what we're doing right now, open his word. But here's the second thing about this knowledge that we need. It's not just cerebral knowledge. Do you see there, verse 18? It's heart knowledge. He wants us to open our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts. This is going to change our hearts. And it's also relational knowledge. If you go back to the verse before, verse 17, we're told the goal is, you see it there, to know him better. This is about our relationship with God. That we might know him better is what we need, but vice versa as well is a brilliant verse. One of my favourites is in Galatians 4, verse 9. This is what God is doing. He's saying that you may know me or rather be known by me. It's a relationship. That's what we need to grow in that relationship. Here's the third reason why we need this knowledge so much. Verse 17 again. It's a knowledge you need in order to be wise. Don't you want that? As you think about what's ahead of you this week, to, to have wisdom to navigate this week well, to, to walk... Uh, chapter 4 of uh, Ephesians is going to say to walk worthily in this life. Well, If you want to walk worthily... We're told here that you need to know this, otherwise you're not going to be able to do it. To walk well, you need to know him better. You need to know the hope he's called you to. You need to know the purpose he has for the walk that you have. And what we'll see in this letter is that knowing these things, currently that are invisible to us, much of them, what God is doing in this world, actually changes the details of our visible life. As we get near the end of this letter, we're going to see how it impacts our working life, our family life, all sorts of things. And I want to say as we embark on this letter together, if you are trying to live your real life, your visible life, the details of the week ahead, without this knowledge, or perhaps trying to live it without applying this knowledge to those things, or at least seeking to grow in this knowledge, then you will find the task of walking really tricky. Uh, you need to know this, says God. And so what what does it mean to know God, know him better and know his purposes better? Well, we started to see that last week. Uh, You can see this on your outline there. This is where we zoomed in last week. It means knowing how he's blessed you. You need to know that if you're going to walk well. Uh, That in him we have been made holy. You need to know that. You are holy in his sight, blameless. That you need to know that you are a dearly loved child of God. That changes how you live. You need to know that you're redeemed and forgiven forever by his blood. You need to know that, says God. But today, as we go further into chapter 1, we're going to explore, if you like, the other part of that knowledge, not how we've been blessed, but why he's done it. Why? On what, on what grounds? Why would he do that? And for what purpose? You can see on the outline we're going to look at both of those in turn. Firstly, this, why God has blessed us, the grounds of that blessing, the, the reason, the, the, the cause. And I want to say as we look at these together, and I want to pick up three things about the grounds of why he has blessed you, uh, these are key to know for this reason, because they're going to give you a, a real picture of God, not how you might imagine him to be or like him to be. This is, this is how he actually is. And why has God blessed you? On what grounds? He's the first. Uh, verse 4 of our passage It's because he chose to love you. That's why. Uh, You see there verse 4? In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus. Uh, This is a knowledge worth having because it tells you that God chose to bless you. It's his decision to do it. Uh, That choice that he made is not a historical afterthought. He didn't just say, oh, well, I guess we could do this. Uh, No, from the basement of time, his plan was to bless you in Christ Jesus. Well before you came to be, that was his plan for you. He chose to do it. And you see that word there in verse 4, predestined or predestination. It's one of the classic theological footballs amongst Christians. We love to kick it around and speculate as to what it might mean. And all you need to do, and I don't suggest you do this this week in your group, but I will give it a go. Um, You only need to say that word and there's half an hour gone. There's half an hour in the group where you're going to speculate as to what this means. Uh, What does it mean that God pre-chose to bless you before you chose him? Uh, We can't seem to get our head around that because we who think we do everything by our own free will, that's how I think I'll live on Monday. I'll get up and I'll make a whole series of decisions. That's how life works. This doesn't compute. Uh, We can't get our head around that someone has determined our destiny for us. And so we wrestle with the idea that God chose us rather than the other way around. Uh, And that's not a new struggle. Now, listen to this quote by John Stott uh, wrestling with this idea. He says this, It's not likely that we will discover a simple solution to a problem that has baffled the best brains in Christendom for centuries. We, we, we can't quite get our head around this. Uh, and I don't want to claim to uh, do what John Stott can't do by any means, but I do suggest this. I think the heart of our problem in understanding that God pre-chose us rather than it was just all us is the lens through which we view that, the reality of that choice. We keep, and we talked about this last week, we keep viewing life through the lens of ourselves, our our own actions, our own will, our own strength, our, our own limitations, our own pride. Everything has to fit into that lens. But the answer as to why God chose you will not be found in you. And it won't even be found in you trying to compare yourself to others to try and understand why he chose you. The answer lies in God himself. We are who we are in Christ because before the dawn of time, God chose to set his love on you in his son. Why did he choose to bless you in that way? Here's his answer. It's because he loves you. And here, and this might be irritating, but I think it's the answer from the Bible. Why did he love you? because he loves you that's why don't look to yourself for the answer to that question don't look to others for the answer to that question look to him look to his nature his character and it's always been that way Uh, last week uh, one of our other bible reading was deuteronomy 7 and i think it highlights this for us Uh, his choosing of israel as his people was exactly the same now listen to this from deuteronomy 7 The Lord did not set his love on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. No, the Lord set his love on you and chose you because the Lord loves you. There's his answer. You need to know that the reason you are blessed by God today in Christ is because that is how he is towards you. This is what keeps you his child still. It's why you're his child right now. He chose to love you. You need to know that's why you're a Christian today and when you wake up tomorrow, uh, it's why you'll be a Christian tomorrow because he chose to love you. I think we need to know this so that we don't make the mistake of thinking this Christian life and the blessings that we have are about us. Otherwise, here's what will happen and I've seen this many, many times amongst Christians. When you sin you'll run from him, not to him. Let me give you an example of that, and I've seen this tragically all too often. I I see it amongst young Christian men, and I use that broadly, that, that phrase, young Christian men, going strong in the Christian life and then getting ensnared in sexual sin. And when they're found out, as inevitably we are, the shame of that causes them to run from God, not to him. And here's why. It's because they don't know this. They think they have to be worthy to be loved by him. They think they have to be worthy to be forgiven by him. They've forgotten that he chose to love them. Every day they've lived, not just the the, the day that their sin was exposed, not just that day, every day. If you know why he's blessed you, when you sin, you'll run to him. Not from him. You'll run for fresh forgiveness. Here's the second uh, grounds of our, uh, why he has blessed us. Uh, it's because he's wise and he understands us. You see it there in verse 8. The blessings, all the blessings that we saw last week that he has lavished on us sinners have been lavished. You see how? With all wisdom and understanding. I love that because I reckon that concept of lavishness is such a brilliant word, isn't it? When we think of someone who's lavish in life, we think of someone who's perhaps a bit foolish. They're just a bit over the top. That's not a good way to live. And yet what we're told here is that God is lavish because he's wise. He's lavish because he understands our need. He's not blind to it. He sees our deepest needs. He sees our deepest wounds and our our worst regrets. He sees all that and he understands enough to know that the the false paths that we follow to meet those needs are going nowhere. And so he understands enough to send his son. Now Here's a third and final ground of why he has blessed us. It's because, you see it there, verse 5, it's because it pleased him to bless you. Again, I love that. You see there, verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. And uh, again, same in verse 9, in accordance with his pleasure. Don't you love that God is that way? He is delighted to bless you. It pleases him. It puts a smile on his face. Your blessing pleases God. Your forgiveness pleases God. How unlike us our God is. You know, the 21st century knows a great deal about pleasure. It's, I think, the golden rule of 21st century ethics. I'll do what I please. But most of our ideas of pleasure are utterly self-absorbed. But God's pleasure is towards us. That's what pleases him. As he adopts us as his dearly loved children, it's for his pleasure that he does it. He's pleased to do it for you. Now, don't get the wrong idea when we uh, think about God being that way. He's not like... Uh, I wonder if you've ever seen the movie A Princess Bride, which is, in my mind, one of the worst movies ever to be created. But there's a... Sig- <laughs> there is a, uh, a significant division in our house as to the value of that movie. But essentially the movie comes down to two characters. theres I think he's called Wesley, is that right? And uh, he is trying to win the affections of Princess Buttercup. You can see the sort of movie it is just from that name. (laughs) And the way he decides he's going to win her affections is whatever she asks, he will utter his phrase. Anyone know what his phrase is? As you wish. As you wish. wish. And I think there there is a sense when we hear that God is pleased to bless us that we almost picture him like a Wesley who just says, as you wish, whatever you want, as you wish. But in our case, if God was like that, it would be an utter disaster. Because what we want and what we need are so far apart. Do you see verse 5, it's not just according to his pleasure that he's done this, it's also according to his will. Verse 9, it's according to his purpose. And that brings us to that, the second part of why God has blessed us. What, what, what purpose did he have in mind? And if you want to walk right, you do need to know this purpose. You need to know what's the purpose of getting up on uh, Monday morning. What what does God have in mind for me, having blessed me in this way? Well, let's see three things as we come towards a close about why he's blessed us. Uh, They're all in verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Why has God blessed you through faith in Jesus? For, for what purpose? Here's the first of it. It's for the hope of being included in Christ and in Christ's body, the church. That's what he has in mind for you. Uh, if you look at verse 13, it says that the most important thing that ever happened in your life if you're a Christian was when you heard... And believe the word of truth about salvation in Jesus. Because what happened when you heard and then came to believe it is that you were included in Christ. That was his purpose. Now get that direction right, because I think sometimes as Christians we reverse it. it. It's not that you included Christ in your life. No, you've been included in him. And all that he is doing That's the remarkable change that has come about by faith in Jesus. And it is a huge change because as we'll see in chapter 2, what we're told is without that inclusion, here's who we are in the world. We are without God and without hope. You see the change? You're included in Christ. You're included in his body, the church. And that's deliberate. That's his plan, that we become the body of Christ in this world. He is the head of this body. Head in the sense that he has all authority. Absolutely everything we do now, the purpose of it is to be in submission to him. And he's the unity. the, the, The reason this thing holds together is because we're included in Christ. God chose us to be his one body. That is the church. That's his purpose for you. You want to know what God is doing in the world? This is it. You want to see it in play? Look around you. This is the news of the hour in the universe. Channel 9, ABC, they're not here to cover it, but God is saying you need to know this is the heart of the universe. This is his plan in all creation and for all time, we're told, in verse 9 and 10. When God chose you before creation, he did it with this end in view, that you'd be part of this. I wonder what you think of our church. I wonder whether you like it. It's a dangerous question for a minister to ask. Uh, Well, I love it. I love our church. But to be honest, humanly speaking, it's not much to look at. And for most of this week, it's a little better today. It just smelled damp and mouldy, the building anyway. (laughs) But see the church through God's eyes. This church is how he is demonstrating to the heavenly realms, to the universe, both powers that are opposed to him and for him. To all of them, he's saying, this is my purpose being fulfilled. This is me winning. What a thought. When God is wanting to display that to the universe, he holds you and I included in Christ up. As we gather before uh, the week ahead of us each Sunday like this, there's all sorts of details about God's plan for my life that I don't know and can't know. But what I can know and, and indeed I need to know is that my little life is now swept up in his cosmic eternal plan. In the future, one day we're told in Ephesians 1, one day all things are going to be ordered under Christ, all things. And at the moment, we can't see that. If you go into whatever the details of Monday hold for you, there'll be all sorts of evidence that seems to say that's not happening. But God says, open your eyes. The church is how He is starting to do that. Which I think means, and I'm unashamed to say this, the church is the main event of the universe and indeed our week. What could you possibly have on Sunday that is more central to the purpose God has in mind for you than being here? Now, I know that's a huge juggle. There are all sorts of demands on our time, all sorts of commitments and responsibilities, but it's so worth it, isn't it, when you see what God is doing? God has this church on display. Smile, you're on camera. (laughs) You know, we've got this uh, computer in the main sort of living area of our house and Tilly's got into the habit of uh, first thing in the morning, she, she goes on, uh, I don't know whether it's uh, FaceTime or something, and she presses record. So the whole day, whatever's happening in that room is getting recorded, and, uh, which is somewhat embarrassing. I have to go delete it most of the time. But uh, imagine that. That's us, the church, in the heavenly realms, on display, with all our mess, but we are included in Christ and God saying, this is my wisdom. Uh, This is my plan. You need to know that hope. This church is your calling. Secondly, see this, verse 18. You need to know that God has chosen to include you in his inheritance. He wants to share it with you. You see, verse 18, the reason why God has blessed you so that you might share in the church is because the church for him is his treasure. Uh, That's what God sees as he looks around this room, treasure. Let me ask you, is this church your treasure or just a thing? I was thinking about that yesterday. A number of people were ordained as deacons in the Anglican Church in Sydney yesterday, including David down here who was ordained as a deacon yesterday. And in, I remember in my own ordination as a, as a presbyter, here are the lines that are said before you are ordained. Have always therefore printed in your remembrance... Speaking of the church, how great a treasure is committed to your charge. For they are the sheep of Christ which he bought with his death for whom he shed his blood, the church. God says treasure this church because it's it's my inheritance. And I want to speak from the heart to say I I think this is a call in season for us as a church. Uh, We are at, I I think, a really critical but also really exciting moment as a church in the midst of, yeah, building, uh, building for the future, in a uh, season of transition as Pete moves to his role at Barker, uh, a church, especially 945, that is at a comfortable size and typical of the North Shore. Easy to stay comfortable, easy to stay casual, easy to stay a sort of a North Shore Christian social club. But I think this season of building and transition and comfort gives us a rare moment to reset ourselves according to God's purpose for this place. And so let me say, as Pete invited you earlier, do come to the Vision Supper. Come to hear what our purpose is together. Come to be part of that purpose together. You know, March will start, a, I think, a unique season for us as we, as we enter the rest of 2020. And I, I want it to be about three things. I want it to be about devotion. I want us to grow to know him better, as we've seen here, so that we can walk worthily. To treasure this place so that we're not casual to grow to love is plan so that we're not purposeful uh, that we're not uh, we are purposeful <laughs> i want it to be about devotion secondly i want it to be about discernment that's how i'm feeling about this season to be wise as we make key decisions about staffing for the church about our church life about our own lives to be wise and we'll only do that if we know these things and finally to be a season of decision not uh, not just to know these things but actually walk in them it is exciting, uh, but it is somewhat daunting, which is why it's so good to know Here's the final part of the purpose as to why he's blessed us. He's blessed us so that you may experience in the church his incomparably great power. See there, verse 19? His incomparably great power for us who believe. With all that's ahead of us as a church, what we need most is power. And I wrote that this week and I thought, ooh, that, sounds, that doesn't sound right. I mean, uh, why power? Power gets, is where things go wrong. Uh, Human power so often just gets twisted and misused, doesn't it? Especially in the church. But this power is not of this world, as Jesus said before Pilate. This is his power, not ours. And you see what he does? He exerts it for us. Power that assures us that God will achieve his purpose in the church. And if you want proof, and we'll finish with this, have a look at the supreme demonstration that he gives so that we can be confident that we will not be short of power Verses 20 to 23, the supreme demonstration, God has shown his strength in the raising and exalting of his son, Jesus Christ. Think on that for a moment. The two things that we humans, even in our strongest and most well-planned, cannot overcome, death and all the powers that are against us, he has conquered completely as he raised his son. And in raising him from the dead, Christ destroyed death and brought immortality to light. That's what this place is about. And now he has seated him at the right hand and he has placed all things under his feet, all powers that you can imagine and even some you can't, all names, he's above them all because he's the king. And see this, this mighty king, verse 22, this risen king, this strong king has been given to the church. His power is at work in this place to achieve his purpose for us. His power is at work in your life to achieve his purpose in your life. And so my prayer for us is simply this, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we might know this hope to which we have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do need to know this. Open the eyes of our heart, we pray. And as we'll sing just now, we may now make our prayer, to this we hold, that our hope is only Jesus, for our lives are wholly bound to his. How strange and divine that we can sing all is ours, yet not us, but through Christ in us. Amen.